It is really good to be together on a day like today. What a beautiful day. Is this an amazing day? Do you know that tomorrow they're saying it's going to be 70 degrees tomorrow? I know. But here's the thing, all right? I'm telling you as your pastor, do not get deceived by that. Because right when you start getting deceived, that's when Oregon throws the right hook of rain and you'll just be depressed again by Wednesday. So anyway. Hey, um, if you're a visitor or a guest, I'm here to say that we're so glad you're with us. Welcome to River West. What we do when we gather is we pull out our Bibles and we get in the Word together uh, because it's in God's Word that our hearts are changed. So we're going to do that today. Pull out your Bible if you would. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and ushers are coming right now. We want you to have the written Word in front of you. We're going to be in the book of Isaiah first and then we're going to go to the New Testament to the book of 2 Corinthians. So you're going to want a Bible. Here's what happened to me. On Wednesday, my phone rang just before noon, 11.45, and it was my eldest daughter, Lauren McMurray. She's 18 years old, and she was calling me during school hours, which I found a little odd, so I figured I should answer the phone. So I answered the phone, and this is what Lauren said to me. She said, Dad can we talk for a couple minutes? Which is not what you want to hear, all right? The tone, it's school hours. I'm thinking she needs money. She, she crashed the car. She needs the insurance company's number. What is this? And here's what she said. She said, I have a really important question that I, I need your help with, okay? Now I'm thinking, yeah, she's asking for money. What's happening here? Here's what she said. You're not going to believe this. She said, why are there four gospel accounts. Okay, now, that is the kind of phone call you want to get as a father. She said, why did God give us four accounts of the life of Jesus? And I was like, thank you, Lord. I can't, I'm talking to my daughter about this. This is awesome. And we had this amazing conversation. And we talked about the fact that Jesus is so profound. And there's so many layers to his life and his ministry. There's so much depth to him that one account is not going to get it done. You need four accounts. You need four different vantage points. Every gospel gives you a, a, a different window. I told Lauren, it's like looking into the same room through four different windows. That's how rich Jesus is. We need more than just one account. In the book of Isaiah, there are four poems that predict the life of Jesus. That's amazing. I'm hearing a... It's like angels are fluttering through the sanctuary... This is a good moment. Okay, four poems, like the four gospel accounts, these four, the scholars call them the servant songs. Each one of them gives us a different vantage point into the life of Jesus, his ministry, his, what he was about. And they're, they're predictive, they're prophetic. They were written 700 years before Jesus was born. 
And what we've been doing in Isaiah is we've been studying through these. We did Isaiah 42, that's the first one. Then we did 49. Today we come to chapter 50, the third one. And what's happening is with each servant song, we're, we're getting a more complete, filled out vision of Jesus. And here's why. Because Isaiah wants us to behold our God. Remember, that's the title of our series. It goes back to Isaiah 40. Isaiah was writing to people who were in captivity. They needed encouragement. And so Isaiah said, I'm going to lift your eyes. I'm going to pull back the curtain. I'm going to let you see God in all of his glory and all of his majesty. That's Isaiah's goal. Behold your God. And Isaiah's method is these four songs that show us the servant of God. Because Isaiah knows if you're ever going to see God, if you're ever going to see his majesty, if you're ever going to understand his heart of grace, you have to be able to understand this person called the suffering servant of God. The four songs build on each other. They, they pick up momentum. And as you read them, they keep growing towards this inevitable destination, which is Isaiah 53. If you've been around the church at all, you know Isaiah 53 is this magnificent, majestic prediction of the suffering, the passion, the death of Jesus. It's Good Friday in the heart of Isaiah. And that's where we're going. And actually, we're going towards that on Good, on good Friday, where, we're gonna, where Isaiah is going to tell us, here's everything you need to know about the, the way that Jesus died. But here's the thing I want to say this morning. Before Isaiah is going to show us why Jesus died, first he wants to show us the way that Jesus lived. The way that Jesus lived is just as critical and important as the way that Jesus died. And what I'm going to suggest today is that if there's, a, if there's an area of the Christian faith that we've maybe neglected a little bit, it's that. We've not spent enough time asking the question, do I understand the way Jesus lived? And why does it matter to my Christian faith? That's what the third servant song is about. That's what Isaiah 50 is about. Will you turn there with me? Isaiah chapter 50. 700 years before Jesus was born, Isaiah predicted his life. And in a few verses, he captured the essence of how Jesus lived and I'm going to tell you right now, you're going to be surprised what he boils this down to. There's a characteristic about the life of Jesus that Isaiah wants us to see. It's very surprising. I wonder if you'll notice it. Here's a hint. Look for the repeated idea as I read. Isaiah 50, starting in verse 4. The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Morning by morning, he awakens. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. The predominant theme, okay, the, the, the unifying theme throughout this chapter is listening to God. Jesus lived the model 
perfect Christian life. He lived the perfect life and, and the essence of that life, what made it so unbelievably perfect was that Jesus perfectly listened to God. As Isaiah says, his ear was always open. He was always hearing. He was always learning. He was always growing. God's word was, it was like Jesus was standing under the waterfall of God's word, constantly in tune, listening perfectly to the heart of his father. Amazing. So today our theme is listening. It's a very important theme, super important for my life, for your life. Over the years, uh, I've heard all kinds of pithy quotes and sayings about listening. Everyone's got a pithy saying about listening, right? So, for example, you've probably heard this one. You have two ears and one mouth, and you need to try to keep the ratio right. Have you ever heard that? That's, those are good words to live by. You have two ears and one mouth. Keep the ratio right, okay? It will go well for you if you do that, all right? Or James. I, James is one of my favorite letters. James talked about listening. He said something amazing. He said, be slow to speak and quick to listen. Isn't that interesting? Be slow to speak and quick to listen. Those are words to live by. Do you know that in my life, I have never gotten into trouble because I listened too quickly to people? Never once. That will never get you in trouble. But if you speak too quickly, you're going to have problems, right? It reminds me of a joke that I heard. What did the salmon say to the sushi chef? This is happening right now, so just go with me, okay? <laughs> what did the salmon say to the sushi chef? If I had kept my mouth shut, I wouldn't be here, all right? Okay, I'll be here all week. But anyway, do you want to get into trouble? Be quick to speak. That'll get you in trouble. Okay, but here's a new one I heard this week, and I, I, I love this. It was actually a, a title of a chapter, and it's a question. So think about this. Why did God put our ears on the outside of our head? And the author says the answer to that question is because we're not supposed to be listening to ourselves predominantly. And he goes on to say, actually, I would argue most of the misery of the human experience, most of the time that I get into trouble, it's because I've elevated my own thoughts and my own opinions to the place of ultimate authority, and I'm using that monologue as the dictate for everything I do, how I decide right and wrong or what I should be doing, how I should be living. And Isaiah is going to say, you're not supposed to actually be primarily listening to yourself. I had a guy come up after this first service. And he was like, dude, I felt like you stuck a dagger into my heart. He was like, I, I, he goes, I realized when you were preaching that I assume that because I'm thinking something, it must be true. And most of the time it's not especially when it's about me talking to myself about me. Throughout the Bible, God keeps saying, listen to me, listen to me. Jesus would, when he would teach, he would stop and he would say, if you have ears, make sure that you're using them because listening is critical. Listening, 
not to myself, not to the world, not to my Instagram feed. I don't know why I slipped that in there, but anyway, listening to God. And do we know how to do that? Jesus was the perfect listener. He modeled it for us. We got to learn from him. He listened so well. This is why his life was so compelling. This is why Jesus transformed every person he ever interacted with. And actually what I'm going to show you in just a minute, it was his listening that, that sort of gets to the root of his salvation. There are some connections that Isaiah wants us to see. I'm going to, I'm going to show you two connections, and then I'm going to end with a question that Isaiah asks. Okay, I'm going to put these connections up because you're going to want to write them down and take them with you. We need to make connections between the perfect listening of Jesus and his life. And here's connection number one. Because he was always listening to his father, Jesus had the perfect word for everyone he encountered. I think that's what Isaiah means in chapter in verse 4. Just look at it in your Bible there. I'm going to keep this up, but look at your Bible because this is what the servant says. The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught. That what? What's the purpose? That I might know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. And the reason that Jesus was able to sustain with a word people who were weary was because he was, his ear was constantly open to God. That's why. Amazing. And then you look at the Gospels, you read the way Jesus interacted with people, and you, you would know, you'd say, Jesus always had the perfect word for everyone, didn't he? Isn't that true? Come on now, it's daylight savings. Talk back to me, didn't he? Good. Jesus always had the perfect word. The, the hemorrhaging woman, the woman who was bleeding incessantly, and she'd spent all of her resources to get healed. She comes to Jesus. She reaches out through a cloud, crowd. She touches his cloak. She's healed, but that's not really the moment for her. The moment is when Jesus said, go in peace. Your faith has made you well. Jesus knew this woman needs peace. Her life has been turmoil and shame and brokenness and disintegration. She needs a word of peace. She's weary. Some people brought a paralytic on a mat. He lived his life with no mobility. Jesus healed him, but that was not the moment. That was not the critical moment. Oh, he walked, but then what Jesus said was, be encouraged, brother, your sins are forgiven. And Jesus knew he, he needs to know the real healing is I'm going to forgive his sins. And the woman caught in adultery, this is a famous, remember this story? These really judgmental people bring a woman caught in adultery. They throw her on the ground in front of Jesus. They want to condemn her. And Jesus says, I don't condemn you, but go and sin no more. Jesus knew this is the word she needs. How did he know? Why did he always have the perfect word? Have you ever been in a situation where you were talking with someone and they, it was like they were so tuned into God that the, the, the next thing that came out of their mouth felt like it was like an arrow of hope to the very center of your heart. And you thought that came from the Lord. I needed that. See, I think that every interaction that Jesus had, that was the experience of the person why? Isaiah tells us, verse 5, because every morning God woke him up and taught him. Isn't that amazing? I mean, look at verse 5. 
excuse me, the end of verse four, sorry. Morning by morning, he awakens, he awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. Now, when you're reading that, you're thinking, that sounds a lot like in the gospels when it talks about Jesus waking up super early and going out to a desolate place and praying and listening to his father. And what Isaiah wants us to know is that this was all a part of the perfect life. Jesus was with God in the morning and he was listening. And because he was listening, he had a perfect word to speak. And often it was the perfect balance of truth and grace. Sometimes you need a little bit more of one or the other. And Jesus held them together perfectly. He was like the perfect counselor. He knew there are people who are, who are just buried right now in guilt. I don't need to hammer them with truth. I need to speak a word of grace. And then he knew when he was encountering someone who was trapped in sin, they don't necessarily just need pure encouragement. They need me to speak truth to them. You need to walk away from that. That's harming you. And Jesus would take both grace and truth and put them together in power and speak them into people's hearts. And did you know that you could become a counselor like that? The greatest counselors in the non-technical sense are people who are so open to the word of God in their lives. But the things that they speak, it's like they're, they're just making a connection between the despair of a human being, the weariness of a human being, and the heart and the wisdom of God. And this is something God wants to equip you to do in your life. River West, I have a dream that our church would become the kind of place that people would come when they're weary because they know when they walk in here, the kind of words that people speak to them feel like words that come from the heart of God. Amen? Amen? And you know how that will happen? If we imitate Jesus, constantly open to the word of God. We're getting there. This is beautiful. And it was because he was hearing God that he always had that perfect word to speak. That's connection number one. Here's connection number two. Because he was always listening to his father, Jesus was able to walk in perfect obedience. Even though that obedience was going to lead him into hardship, he still went. And it was because he was listening. Now in the Bible, uh, I'll leave that up for a second, but let me tell you something about the Hebrew word for listen in Hebrew, the word listen and the word obey, it's used virtually to describe the same concept. So in the Old Testament, listening is obeying. There's no, there's no concept of listening but not obeying. Now, parents, do you feel me on that? Is that a, that's a word of wisdom, right? And it's, it's in the Bible. You can quote the Bible to your children. But anyway, here's the thing. This phrase he opened my ear. That word in the Hebrew, to have your ear opened is to obey. It's to listen and obey. I think this is why Jesus says in verse 5, the Lord God has opened my ear and I was not rebellious. I was listening and I, not, I, I wasn't just, I wasn't just, words weren't just coming into my ear. The word of God was changing my heart, and I was immediately putting into practice what I was hearing. And it's profound. 
so powerful. So listening means obeying. Now, let me make a let me make an observation. I have a feeling that this is why we so often don't want to listen to God. I just, I, I, at least in my own personal experience, there have been times where I've realized I'm avoiding God. I don't want to listen to God. And the reason I don't want to listen to God is that I have a feeling he's going to ask me to do something. <laughs> and maybe I don't want to do it. You know, when I was a little kid, my twin brother and I developed a system for how we could avoid listening to my mother. This is me confessing sin right now. Don't, don't judge me and don't, do not email my mother because she does not know this. But anyway, so we had this system. Anytime my mom came to the top of the steps and called to us, that meant one thing and one thing only, Chores. Okay, and so we would hear her footsteps coming towards the top of the steps, and we would run to the stereo, and we would turn up the music, the wham, make it big, you know, careless whisper, and we would turn that up, and it would just go up kind of loud, and then, so the music would be on, and then she'd be calling, and she didn't know there's music, and then we would sneak out the back door and go outside and play. It was horrible. We were horrible humans, but we did it. We turned up the noise because we didn't want to hear the voice because we didn't want to obey. And I just have a feeling that we do that sometimes. I think what we do is we turn up the, the volume, we turn up the noise, we turn up the clutter in our lives. And possibly it's because I, I'm, maybe I'm not being honest with myself, but I'm trying to avoid God. You know, maybe I'm trying to avoid God because I have a wacky view of God. I, I assume everything God's going to ask me to do is going to be painful or hard or difficult. And the reality is, so much of the time what God calls us into or calls us out of is for our own good because he loves us so much. So I'm actually avoiding life-giving words because I'm working with a warped view of God. Now, here's the thing you need to know about Jesus. For Jesus, obedience did mean hardship. For Jesus, obedience meant walking headlong into suffering in my place and in your place. This is what Isaiah wants us to see. We look at it, verses 6 and 7. Jesus had said, I wasn't rebellious in verse 5. I didn't turn my back. What did Jesus do? I gave my back to those who strike. That's a prediction of the gospel accounts, right? And my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. This was like a Hebrew, when, you, when, a, when a person had their beard pulled out in public, it was like a way of public shaming. I know all the guys are going, ah, yeah, but it was shameful to have your beard pulled out. And Jesus walked into it headlong in obedience. Why? Because his ear was open. I didn't hide my face from disgrace and spitting, but the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint. I don't know if you recognize that phrase. That the, Luke quotes that when he, he gets to a place in chapter 9 where he says, Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem. And, oh, there it is. 
that was amazing. Thank you. Um, he set his face like a flint. So Jerusalem, Jesus knew if I go to Jerusalem, that's where I'm going to suffer. That's where my beard's going to be pulled out. That's where they're going to strike my back. That's where I'm going to be publicly shamed. That's where I'm going to experience hardship. And Jesus actually set his face towards it in obedience. Okay, I, I understand that people might be hearing this and going, I am, I'm having a hard time with the idea of Jesus being obedient. You're telling me, Pastor, that Jesus was obedient. Isn't Jesus the Son of God? Why would the Son of God, why would God need to be obedient to someone? Actually, Isaiah is going to say more than that. Isaiah is going to say, not only was he obedient, he was totally righteous. And actually, if you don't have those two things, you don't have salvation. If Jesus did not live a life of obedience, there's no salvation. Now, let me show you. That's what Isaiah is going to say next. So look at verse 8. Here's what Isaiah says. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. It's like a court scene. There's a, there's a court thing going on. Jesus is saying, if someone has a charge to bring against me, bring it. Verse 8, behold, behold, the Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? And the answer is no one. No one can bring a charge against Jesus. Isaiah is saying, you, if you're going to understand the gospel, you have to understand that Jesus was totally innocent. He lived a life of perfect obedience, and he lived a life of perfect righteousness. There, there was no grounds to bring any charge against him. Oh, he suffers. He's going to suffer for sure, but he's not going to suffer because he's guilty. In fact, precisely the opposite, he's going to suffer because he was righteous. And that's why the suffering is going to have power. Okay, so I know this is deep, but stay with me. This is so, here's what Isaiah is doing. He's putting his finger on the nerve of the gospel. He's saying, in order for someone to substitute themselves for sinners, they cannot be a sinner themselves. They have to be righteous. Jesus' obedience is critical. If he, was, if he deserved to suffer, then his suffering is just suffering. If he didn't deserve to suffer, then his suffering becomes a substitute for my sin. And this is, this is where the nuclear power of the gospel blows up. Because I begin to realize I need Jesus not just to die in my place. I need Jesus to live a perfect life in my place, and that will become the source of the power of his death. Here's what Paul said in Romans chapter 5, verse 19. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. That's Adam. Adam disobeyed original sin. Many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Paul's saying the obedience of Jesus is critical, absolutely critical. 
Jesus lived the life that I could never live in my place. So important. So important. Okay, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and let me show you why this should matter to you. Many of you will recognize the verse I'm about to read. But I want you to see uh, the connection now to the righteous, the perfect righteousness, the perfect obedience of Jesus. Here's what it, Paul says. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. For our sake, he that is God made him, that is Jesus. God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Uh, theologians call this the great exchange. And what Paul does here is Paul says, and he's just, all he's doing is reading Isaiah. And what, I, what Paul says is he says, God took all of the sin of the world and he placed it on the one person who was actually sinless. And that sinless one became the sin bearer. He took all of your sin, every sin you'll ever commit, every sin you've ever committed, and he put it on Jesus. And that's profound. But here's the thing you have to realize. If if it stops there, there's no salvation. That's just, all that does is it gets you to neutral. Your sin gets taken away. That's not going to cut it. God does something else. So the next thing God does is that God takes all of Jesus' righteousness his perfect life, his acts of obedience, and he credits those to you and to me. And that means that when God looks at me, he does not see my failure or my sin. He sees perfect obedience that was credited to me from Jesus Christ by faith. Amen? Did you know that when you come into church and you're worshiping, when God looks at you, he sees the perfect righteousness of Jesus? That's how he sees you. That's not how you see you, right? This is why we need the ears on the outside of our head. Because I'm telling myself a different version. I dream of a day in our church where we say that to one another constantly. You're in a community group and someone is broken and they confess sin and it's a beautiful moment and we want that. We want a church where people are, can come and be honest and say, I blew it. And then you know what needs to happen? Right in that moment, a, a, a Christian who understands the book of Isaiah immediately says, did you know that Jesus forgives your sin? And not only that, when God looks at you, he doesn't see that. He sees the perfect obedience of Jesus. That's what he sees in you. Hallelujah. That is the heart of the gospel. It's so important. I hope you'll hear it today. Is your ear open to God? This is what Isaiah is going to ask us finally as we close. He's going to ask us a probing question. Let's finish out Isaiah chapter 50. We left off at verse 10. You're going to see the question right away. The question by now should be, 
obvious. What do we, what's the question I need to ask now? And the question is, who am I going to listen to in my life predominantly? Isaiah says it like this, Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Behold, all you who kindle a fire, who equip yourselves with burning torches and walk by the light of your own fire and by the torches that you have kindled. Isaiah is painting a picture of people who they, they need light, but instead of looking to God, they create their own light. So they light these torches of their own and they try to walk by those torches. And what Isaiah says is that doesn't end well. This you have from my hand, you shall lie down in torment. And so the question becomes, the question Isaiah wants to ask is, how about you? Will you be a person who listens to the servant? See, the amazing thing is now the person we get to listen to is Jesus. You see that in verse 10? The person who fears the Lord is the person whose ear is open to the servant. That's amazing because the servant is the living, the logos, the word of God made flesh. And Isaiah says, how about you? Who will you listen to? You know, in my life, um, when I get into my own head too much, it never goes well. It just doesn't go well. And I just have a sinking suspicion that might be true for you too. It just doesn't go well when my self-talk is the only talk I'm hearing. But it also doesn't go well when I'm predominantly listening to other sources of illumination, the news or social media. If, if I'm predominantly hearing from that, it doesn't go well. When I first went into the ministry, I had a mentor. He was a, he was a wonderful guy named Kent. He had a really, really wonderful relationship with Jesus. And he, I'll never forget what he said to me one day. We were meeting. He said, Adam, you're going to have to fight for intimacy with Jesus in your life. You're going to have to fight for it. You're going to have to fight to stay in that posture where you're hearing from Jesus. And he said, I'm, I'm going to share with you two things that I've learned in my life that have helped me. And I want to share these with you today. These are like practical things you could do to be a person who listens to Jesus predominantly. Do you want, do you want to live your life with your ear open always to the servant? Here's two things you could do. The first thing Kent told me was always keep a bookmark in the Gospels. Always keep your bookmark. You have that little fancy, like, thing in your Bible. I just moved it out of Isaiah. And where did I put it? The Gospels. Okay. Why would, why would he say that to me? Here's why. He said, when you're reading your Bible, which you should be doing, you should always, every day, be reading out of the Gospels. Read from Isaiah. Read from the Psalms. Read from Paul. Read from Revelation. Great. But always be, you, if, you, if you're not seeing Jesus, hearing from Jesus, watching the way he lived, how can you have an ear open to Jesus? He described it like a plate of food where you have asparagus and um, yogurt. I don't know why I thought yogurt, but anyway, I'm thinking of things. Okay, but then there's always a main course, and it's not the asparagus in my plate. And he said, what's the main course? The Gospels. 
Did you know there's four of them? I learned that on Wednesday from my daughter. But anyway, always be reading the Gospels. And then here's the second thing that he said to me. He said, you can't give Jesus your leftover time. You got to give him prime time. If, you're, if you want to hear from Jesus, if you want to be a person whose ear is open, you can't give him your leftovers. You don't, we just don't hear Jesus in our leftovers, right? And you know what that means. It's like, okay, oh, I'm super exhausted. This is a good time to read the Gospels, right? No, it's typically not. So like if the, the time when you're wiped out or it's too early or you're too distracted, um, my friend Kent said, look at your day and determine what tends to be my prime time when I'm most sharp, when I'm most focused. Give that to Jesus in prayer and gospel reading and listening. How about you? Will you be a person who listens to the servant? You know, it actually begins today. It's going to begin right now when we go to the table. God has a word for your heart, and he's speaking it through the bread and the cup, which I'm going to pray about in just a minute. So will you bow your heads with me, and let's pray. We want to be people, Lord, who follow Jesus. We want to be people who understand that we will never be able to hear you, Lord. We'd never be able to have a relationship with you were it not for Jesus. And not just his death, but his life, his active obedience. Jesus, we praise you because you lived before God the way that we were intended to. And not only can we follow your example, but we get credited with your righteousness. That is unreal. How I pray that our hearts would hear it today, Lord. You're calling us to listen. I think you're calling people to listen today who have had their ears closed to you. And you're coming to them in love, not condemnation, but in passionate love. You want to speak a word. This reminder of the, of the, the body of Christ, which he gave, and the blood of Christ, which was spilled on our behalf. And you're calling people into salvation I'm praying for that. I'm praying for you out there if, you're, if you are there and you know it and you know God is calling you to respond in faith to Jesus. Don't run. Don't resist God. He loves you. It's scary, I know, but in this moment, s- step out in faith and put your hope in Christ today. Lord, we love you so much. Thank you for the gospel. Will you bless us today? And as we go to the table, we ask in Jesus' name, amen.